some together already this morning. Today officially begins the season of Advent, uh, one of my easily one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, and and I want to just kind of add a little bit to what some of what Jeff uh, shared with us uh, in preparing us for communion a minute ago. If you're new to to Kaufman Church of Christ or Advent is something that is uh, new experience for you, you've never experienced before. I want to I want to mention a couple of things. Number one, on the tables around the room are some white sheets of paper uh, that have on them kind of a summary of what, it kind of attempts to answer a couple of questions. What is Advent? And why do we celebrate Advent? And, you know, how can I get the most out of this season? And so um, you may have read that before. I've provided that over the last several years, but it might be something that uh, you find helpful, again, to kind of refresh your memory about that. The other thing I want to mention is, through these middle doors, the back of the room, uh, on a table near the connections booth, uh, are some Advent devotional guides. Uh, and uh, we'd like to provide things like that each year. Uh, those Advent devotional guides have kind of a daily reading, uh, a scripture, a, a thought, a prayer that you can read each day from now, starting today, the first Sunday, first day of Advent, through Christmas Eve. And so you may find that helpful. They're available for as long as we have them back in the foyer uh, for free. So take one of those and, um, and use that as a way to uh, kind of give, you know, be a resource for this season. There are a lot of different resources you can find online um, you know, to, to help you, maybe your family. Uh, there's stuff for kids if you want to do something with your kids. So just be aware of that. Uh, we, we do a lot of things as a church during this season. And um, a couple, I want to mention a couple of those as I start with my sermon this morning because some of you may not be aware of those and the last couple of years have been a little bit out of sync in some ways. Uh, one of the things that happens and has happened for the last eight or nine years, uh, one of my really good friends is a guy named Matt Pugh. Matt is the preacher and pastor at Country Bible Church here in Kaufman. Uh, and Matt and I, for the last seven or eight or nine years, we can never remember how many, when we started it, but... Uh, for, the, for, for a while now, we get together starting back in like September usually and begin thinking about, praying about, talking about our, this Advent season. And so we, we come up with a, a series idea, we work on each sermon together, um, and, and so we have been preparing over the last several months to get ready for today, uh, and we've, we, we have brought to you this new series, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, one thing that I want you to know about that relationship is, is that uh, we also, Advent culminates, as Jeff said a minute ago, in, on Christmas Eve, and we have a Christmas Eve service, and we do that as a combined service with our, with our brothers and sisters over at Country Bible Church. It's also open to our community. If you don't have plans on Christmas Eve, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. It's our year to host that. We take a year hosting, and then they take a year hosting, and this is our year to host that. Uh, and also, I am going to be leaving right after I am done preaching this morning and walking out the doors, and I'm not mad at any of you. The reason I'm leaving is because today, Matt is out of town in New Mexico, and I am going to preach this same sermon at Country Bible Church after I'm done here, and in two weeks, I'm going to be out of town, and Matt is going to be here preaching the third week of this series, and then he's going to walk out the doors, and he's not going to be mad at you either, but he's going to be going over to Country Bible Church to preach the third sermon in this series. So just be preparing for that. It's a new thing that we're doing this year. But all the, we, we do a lot of different things. We, 
We had the Daras and Steiners a minute ago come up and do an Advent reading and a candle lighting. Uh, we've done this as well for the last several years. Some of you may not know that the, the lighting of candles during the season has a long history. Uh, it was a way to sort of, it's kind of an ancient way of saying uh, that the lights are still on, right? We're still waiting. We're not, we have not gone to sleep yet, right? What happens when you blow out the candles is that the, everything in the house gets dark, the day comes to an end, right? If before electricity and all of that kind of thing, if people were lighting candles in their home, it meant they're still awake and they're waiting and they're anticipating what's coming. And so this is a way, an ancient way for us to kind of say that through a practice of lighting candles. And so we light one candle each Sunday uh, leading up to Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we light that final white candle uh, here in, the, in our Christmas Eve service. So I want to just add, um, because again, it, I know we've all slept since last year and some of you are new. Uh, and so I always like to just spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, what Advent is. And so I want to start with just a definition, just as a reminder for many of you, maybe new to some of you. Uh, the word Advent simply means arrival or coming. Uh, and when we begin the pages of the New Testament, what we find is that Jews have been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah to come, right? And then all of a sudden, it happened. It happened in the town of Bethlehem. A baby was born. And, and of course, at the time, what we, we know so much on this side of that event, but at the time, no one knew it was an important baby, really. I mean, there were people were learning in the story, angels and shepherds, and there's all sorts of wise men that were, you know, other people are beginning to learn this, right? But most people did not know that it was an important baby at the time. Nothing was important about the birth, right? It was, Jesus was born in a barn. He was placed in a feeding trough. But over time, many would come to see that this child was God in the flesh. And this this is Jesus' first arrival, first advent. And so each year, as Jeff mentioned a minute ago, during the four weeks that lead up to Christmas, we spend time celebrating Jesus' first arrival, but there is also this second arrival because we, like the early Jews, are also still waiting, right? We understand that Jesus' birth didn't do everything that God intends to do in the world and in humans. And so we're waiting for Jesus' second advent, his second arrival, second coming, when he returns one day. And on living on this side of Jesus' first advent, his first arrival, we celebrate both of these events. We anticipate in the way that the Jews would have been anticipating Jesus' first. And so to help us prepare for this season and think about this season, uh, we've provided lots of resources, and we're also going to be spending some time in the next several weeks uh, in this series, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which, of course, is the title of the song that we just sang together. Uh, and, and so what we're going to do over the next several weeks together is that we're going to look at one verse of this song each week and kind of dive into Scripture and look at some things in Scripture that explain the, the verses and the lyrics of these songs, uh, of the, the, the verses of this song. And so uh, this is the song we're going to spend some time with. We're going to spend some time with verse 1, or, uh, verse one this, this morning. And so as, some, as, as you all know, of course, there are lots of different kinds of Christmas songs. You just got to hear that song if it's been a while since you've sung the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Some Christmas songs are upbeat, some are energetic, uh, some are more reflective and somber. And this song, I think, has a bit of both, right? During the verses that you're going to sing each week, there is this feeling of longing, of sort of, of an aching and anticipation, 
And then in the chorus, it bursts sort of into this really upbeat kind of you know, feeling this, during the chorus where we sang, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel. Right? And so there's this tension that you feel in this song um, as, you, as you kind of live with both the longing of the verses and the, uh, the joy, joyous feeling of the chorus. And so I want to begin by looking together at the first verse again of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm going to spare singing you a solo, but just as a reminder, this is the words you just sang a minute ago. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. This verse begins by sort of transporting us back uh, into an earlier time in Israel's history. Interestingly enough, we as a church just spent some time earlier this fall talking a lot about the time that this verse transports us back to in the book of Daniel. Right In the year 587 B.C., the army of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar come into Jerusalem and attack and conquer the city and take some of the people that were in Jerusalem back to Babylon as captives. And so now people are living in ca- as captives in Babylon instead of living in their homeland in Jerusalem. And there are obviously a lot of problems with someone storming into your city and ransacking the city and taking you and people that you love away as prisoners. There are some, a lot of problems with that. But One big problem with this happening to Israel is that Israel only worships one God. You and I only worship one God, Yahweh. And every day, every Jew in that time would have prayed their most important prayer, their creed, the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's a lot going on in this statement, right? But their choice to follow one God, along with things like their calendar, right? They observe things like the Sabbath and various feasts, along with being kosher. They only ate certain things, right? This, this commitment to follow one God and their commitments about what they ate and how they lived the rhythm of their life with Sabbath and the, and the other feasts that they celebrated are part of what made them distinctively Jewish. And so, But in captivity, right? King Nebuchadnezzar is not interested in letting them celebrate Sabbath. King Nebuchadnezzar, as we learned if you were here during the Daniel series, is not interested in them eating the foods that they want to eat. He wants to make them eat what they eat in Babylon. And it's also the same with worship and the worship of Yahweh. Because Israel, while they just worship Yahweh, one God, nations like Babylon have a pantheon of gods. They have gods for everything. But this is not an option for for Israel. This is off the table for Israel. So when they're taken as captives, they can't just say, which some nations did when they were conquered in battle, they can't just say, well, we'll just start worshiping Baal. I guess we'll just start add add Nebo to our worship practices, right? We can't worship the god of Babylon, Marduk, instead of Yahweh. And so this is sort of this constant tension that they're dealing with in captivity, But in addition to this, captivity meant that you had just been on like the very practical level. Think about about this. Captivity means you had just been uprooted from your home. Your entire life has been disrupted. If someone stormed into our county and, you know, at gunpoint hauled all of the people off in this city, right, there would be a whole lot of disruption that happens as a result of that. 
And I want you to think for a second, if you can place yourself in those Jews' shoes for just a minute, I want you to think about what would have been disrupted in that moment. Obviously, the big things, right? You lose your home, people die during the invasion, but also other things. And the chaos of Babylon coming in to conquer Jerusalem, the friends that you've grown up with, running the streets of Jerusalem, right? The people that you had raised your children with, the homes that you had built, the chaos from the attack from the enemy, people went missing. You may have lost track of them. You don't know what happened to them. And now hundreds of miles away in Babylon, everything is unfamiliar. You're in a strange new place. The food is different, right? People talk different. So you hear the opening lines of this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Rescue Israel who is captive in this foreign land. And I think if you can picture yourself in their shoes and then you hear the line of this song, it's not hard to imagine why Israel would be singing these words and why someone would write this song as a way to remember that event. If you're sitting in Babylon, what are you thinking? Right? If I can just, I, what I would imagine we're thinking is if I can just get home. If I could just get back to the place where people know me, where people speak my language, where people eat the food that I eat. If I could just get back home and sleep in my own bed, if I could just get back home and start over, if I could just get out of this place and back to what's familiar, I have this sense that everything would be better. And that's part of what you hear in this first verse of this song. And when you can begin to imagine this, you can begin to feel sort of the power of the first verse of this song. Oh, come, Emmanuel, rescue Israel and take us back. O come, Emmanuel, our Redeemer, Rescuer, if you would just come, if you would just show up, if you would just ransom us, if you would just pay for the release of Israel, we would be free again. It's really a prayer. The song is really a, a prayer. It's, it's a lament, actually. And interestingly, the first verse of this song sounds a lot like Psalm 137. I want you to listen to this. This is what Psalm 137 says. I think we have it up here on the slide. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. That's Jerusalem. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations as they came in and took over the city. And then they say in this psalm, Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Doesn't this give you all the warm feelings of Christmas, right? Merry Christmas, dashing children against rocks. Not the sermon you expected to hear this morning, I'm sure. So what's going on in this psalm? Some psalms, as most of you know, are psalms that express joy and peace and faith and trust. And then there are other psalms that express anger and confusion and lament. And Psalm 137 is one of those lament songs. It's written by a Jew 
If you hear the word, think about the words. It's written by a Jew. There's not an, an author attached to it, so we don't know exactly who. But I, I like to imagine it's written by someone who is in Babylon, who is remembering Jerusalem, who has been a part of this invasion, who has been one of the people who was dragged off to live in Babylon. And it's written out of a place of pain. You can hear it. right? Express, this psalm expresses anger. It asks hard questions. It's honest about the way things are, and it's honest about the way they feel. Now, I want to make a note. It does not say that God is going to dash babies against rocks. Those are human words about what they want God to do to their enemies, right? In Psalm 137, we actually get a glimpse of what it might have been like, what it might have felt like to be taken from your homeland without your permission, the longing that Israel feels while in captivity in Babylon. And while they're in captivity, the psalm says that their captors are saying, hey, sing us some songs that you sang when you were in Jerusalem, when everything was going well. And they're like, how can we sing songs of joy when we're captive in this strange land? Right? We're discouraged, we feel lost, we're mourning in exile, like the song says. We want to be rescued from, by God and we want to get back home Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come and rescue Israel. If you want to know, this is, it's an honest prayer. It's an honest prayer. It's an honest expression of their heart. And if you want to know what an honest prayer looks like, I want you to think of, as an example, as an illustration, the story, The Fiddler on the Roof. Now, if you haven't seen this play or this movie before, there is a, char a character in the story named Tevya. And Tevya is a man who prays to God a lot. Uh, and he, he, he has, he's very honest. He has very honest conversations. And in, in this scene, in the movie, in the play, uh, he looks to heaven and he says, if I can channel my, te my inner Tevya here, he says, sometimes I think when it gets too quiet up there, he's talking to God, sometimes I think when it gets too quiet up there, you think to yourself, let's see what kind of mischief I can play on my friend Tevya. Well, I'm really not complaining. After all, with your help, God, I'm starving to death. Oh, dear Lord, you have made many poor people. And I realize, of course, that it is no shame to be poor, but it is not a great honor either. Would it have been so terrible if I had just a small fortune? Right? Psalm 137 is like Tevye's prayer, where he is he is honest about the way he feels. It gives this perspective, not from the top, not from when things are going well, but from the bottom, from someone who does not have everything going right in life. It gives a perspective from someone on the outside, someone that's poor, someone that's been forgotten, someone that's in exile. Israel is living in this moment where they are they're thinking to themselves, we know that we're God's people. We know that God loves us. But once in a while, we know we're chosen, God, to be your people, but once in a while, the way it's working out to be your chosen people hasn't exactly led to the greatest of places. We're sitting in Babylon in captivity. We're thinking to ourselves, Israel is, once in a while, we'd like for you to choose somebody else, right? Because if this is what it means to be your chosen people, it doesn't feel like it's working out. They're in exile, and they had imagined being God's people would look different. And this is why, church, I think that it's important. It's important, this song is important, this psalm is important, because we have these moments too, don't we? 
right? You know God loves you. You know that you're God's child, but life isn't going the way that you thought it would. There is family tension. There are relationships and friendships that are struggling. Something happened. Somebody got their feelings hurt. Life has been hard as a result. And then there's sometimes financial strain, debt. Everything is more expensive with the economy right now. The economic situation isn't what it was. Or maybe you have someone that you love that's received a health diagnosis that's really heavy, and you're praying and you're waiting for God to act. But this isn't the way you thought it was going to be. You're feeling, experiencing all kinds of stress from work or from school. Things are piling up, pressure, deadlines, expectations. Maybe worst of all, someone dies. You experience death. Life 